a passage of scripture here. Um, before you put up my title slide, I want to read this passage. And um, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 1. All right. Uh, then Samuel said to Saul, I was the one the Lord sent to anoint you as king over his people Israel. Now listen to what the Lord says. Here is what the Lord of heaven's armies has said. I carefully observed how the Amalekites opposed Israel along the way when, I, when Israel came up from Egypt. So now, go, and, go now and strike down the Amalekites. Destroy everything they have. Don't spare them. Put them to death. Man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey alike. Pretty exhaustive list. So Saul assembles the army. He musters them up at Telem. And there are 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul proceeded to the city of Amalek, where he set up an ambush in the Wahdi. Saul said to the Kenites, go on and leave. Go down from the Amalekites. Otherwise, I will sweep you away with them. After all, you were kind to all the Israelites. And when they came up from Egypt, so the Kenites withdrew from among the Amalekites. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites all the way from Havelah to Shor, which is next to Egypt. And then he captured the king of Agag, of the Amalekites alive, but he executed all Agag's people with a sword. However, Saul and the army spared Agag, along with the best of the flock, the cattle, the fatlings, and the lambs, as well as everything else that was of value. They were not willing to slaughter them, but they did slaughter everything that was despised and worthless. Then the Lord's message came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned away from me and has not done what I've told him to do. Samuel became angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. So Samuel loved Saul. Samuel had something I pray I have get a shepherd's heart. I pray something we all have, a shepherd's heart. Verse 12, then Samuel got up early to meet Saul the next morning, but Samuel was informed. Saul has gone to Carmel while he is setting up a monument for himself. My kind of guy, I like this guy here. Then Samuel left, went down to Gagal, and when Samuel came to Saul, Here's Saul. Saul comes to him. May the Lord bless you. I have fulfilled the Lord's orders. I have fulfilled the Lord's will. I have fulfilled the Lord's commandments. And I have set up a monument in my own image. Obviously very, very scripturally sound. For the next few moments, I want to talk about the narcissistic leader. The narcissistic leader. And that's my title slide, the narcissistic leader. Ancient Greek mythology tells the story of a young boy by the name of Narcissus. And Narcissus was a beautiful boy. So beautiful, fable has it that his face appeared to be chiseled from the most perfect marble. And his neck looked as smooth as unblemished ivory. And because of his amazing beauty, everybody was attracted to Narcissus. 
Narcissus was only attracted to one person. That was himself. One day along the mythical river, the Stikes, he approached a calm pool of water to drink, and he saw a glimpse of himself reflected in the image. And he, and he saw his image reflected in that pool so much that he could not love anyone else or return anyone else's love because he was in love with himself. And that's where we get the term narcissist. Saul, I believe, is the epitome of a narcissistic leader. He is completely concerned about how he is perceived by others. He is more concerned about his own image than he is about pleasing God or following his commandments. He is more concerned about building statues and monuments to himself instead of building altars to the true king, like the great patriarch Abraham. And when David comes to bring lunch to his brothers, hold on. For the front line, David wants to confront Goliath. And what does Saul suggest? Take my armor. Just in case you win, people will see my name on that armor. So that way they understand what truly brought David victory. That's my take. That's my take. I don't know if I can prove that, but that's my take. I think that's part of the reason why he gave one his armor. As seen in the life of Saul, narcissistic leaders present various combinations of intense ambitiousness, grandiose fantasies, feelings of inferiority, and over-dependence on external admiration and acclaim. Narcissistic leaders are always concerned about the external optics of everything. They want to make sure they look the best in people's eyes. Any admonition of others' skills and talents minimizes their own talents from their followers, which is a threat to their external factors that bring them fulfillment. Narcissistic leaders are driven to succeed by a need for admiration and acclaim from others. They have an overinflated sense of importance as well as great ambitions and grandiose fantasies. And at the heart of a narcissistic leader are self-absorption, uncertainty due to deep feelings of inferiority. In addition, they may not enjoy their success and they are completely dissatisfied with their lives. Narcissistic leaders. Where are you going with this? Stick with me. Stick with me. We're in leadership. We're going to learn something tonight. Another example I see in Ecclesiastes, um, Koholeth, as I like to say, a preacher. It's a king. Some say Solomon. We don't know who it is. Um, I kind of believe it might be Solomon, but that's my two cents. But Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 4. Now watch this. This is the epitome of a narcissistic leader. And it's inspired right here in the scriptures. How amazing is that? I have increased my possessions. I have built houses for God. Oh, that's right. For myself, I have planted vineyards for myself. I have designed royal gardens and parks for 
myself. I have planted all kinds of fruits of trees in them, and I've constructed pools of water for myself to irrigate my grove of flourishing trees. I have purchased male and female slaves, and I own slaves who were born in my house. I also possess more livestock, both herds and flocks, than any of my predecessors in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, as well as valuable treasures taken from kingdoms and provinces. I acquired male singers and female singers for myself. And what makes a man's sensual delight a harem of beautiful concubines. So I was far wealthier than all my predecessors in Jerusalem, yet I maintained my objectivity. What? No, you did not, you narcissistic. Sorry. Verse 10. See, sometimes you have to be careful when you're in the scriptures. You automatically assume it's inspired, and you're like, that's what I have to emulate. No, 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 no. There's a lot of pros and cons of what not to do. That's in the scriptures. Please read the scriptures carefully. This guy starts making sense at the last verse of the last chapter. All righty? All right. Verse 10. I did not restrain myself from getting whatever I wanted. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Anyway, I did not deny myself anything that would bring me pleasure. So all my accomplishments give me joy, and this was my reward for all of my effort. Yet when I reflected on everything I had accomplished and all the effort that I had expended to accomplish it, I concluded all these achievements and possessions are ultimately profitless like chasing wind, chasing wind, a narcissistic leader. We have to understand, when we ever hear this term, this narcissistic leader, (laughs) I, I read it, I read it. You guys are having a lot too much, too much play here. There's a lot of play going around here. <laughs> what we have to understand with narcissism is we always read it and we always think of other people. Don't we always do that? We're like, oh, I know that boss. I know this terrible, terrible preacher. Oh, he's a narcissist. And what's challenging is, because I'm talking to leaders, right? This is us. We all have narcissistic tendencies. As leaders, it's there. We're very self-absorbed. I know this is like a lead balloon. We all have narcissistic tendencies. And there's a, there's a few lines I want to read And each one I read, I want to see if this resonates with you. See if you identify with these statements. This is a test. All righty, I got it from a book. All right, you guys ready? So I'll read it. I'll pause and think. 
Is that me? All right? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Fellow leaders in my church or organization frequently question whether my proposed goals or projects are feasible or realistic. It's a good one, right? Is it too grandiose? Number two, I am obsessed with knowing how others feel about my sermons, my lessons, my performances, my church attendance. I am obsessed. All right, so let that sink. If you relate with that. I find, this is a really good one. This is a hard one to read. I find it difficult to receive criticism of any kind, reacting with anger, anxiety, or even depression when it comes my way. How do we handle criticism? I've never been criticized. No one has ever given me constructive criticism. Why? Why in the world has no one ever given you constructive criticism? Is it because you can't handle it? Or you're just perfect? Hey, that's not narcissistic at all. I'm perfect. I know, this is... You always know I'm going with someone with these things, right? It's funny, my, um, my coworker, my manager, he's a, he's a Christian too. He goes to a, one of the Spanish churches. And he's like, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? Disney's doing something. And, you know, you guys should get out there and protest and stuff like that. And, and I'm like, oh, I did not know that. He goes, what, what church do you guys go to? Aren't you guys Pentecostal? And I'm like, brother, we, we deal with ourselves. I don't care about what political agenda people are doing. We're trying to make disciples. We're not going to avoid the issue and find some political purpose and avoid dealing with <laughs> issues in our own hearts, right? All right, all right. Here's another one. You guys ready? At times, I find myself thinking I will show them they could never make it without me when I experience conflict situations or opposition to my proposed plans. Ooh, that's a hard one, right? They're going to fail without me. Have you ever thought of that? You might be a narcissist. In spite of achieving what others would consider significant success, I still find myself dissatisfied and driven to achieve greater things in an effort to feel good about myself. In spite of achieving what others would consider significant successes, I still find myself dissatisfied. It's not good enough. And I've driven to greater things in an effort to feel better about myself. Does that resonate with you? I am willing to bend rules and press the envelope of acceptable behavior 
to accomplish my goals. I'm willing to bend the rules in order to accomplish my goals. I find myself feeling jealous of the success and achievements of associates, other churches, or organizations in my area. Do you find yourself jealous of others, of other successes? I am often unaware of or unconcerned about the financial pressures my goals and projects place on those I lead or the church I serve or the organization I serve. I am unconcerned. You could be, that's not about being concerned. You're freaking out. That's, that's a little different from this morning. This is you're unconcerned. You're unconcerned. Success or failure in a project has a direct bearing on my self-image and my sense of worth. If I fail at something, I am worthless. Is that you? Is that you? I am highly conscious of how my colleagues and those to whom I am accountable to regard my accomplishes, my accomplishments. It is extremely important how, how I am regarded about my accomplishments. Think about that. I need to be recognized or on top when meeting with a group of fellow pastors, denominational officials, associates in the Lord, or in a group. Let's just say small groups. I have to be on top. I have to have the last word. I have to soak up 60 minutes of the hour and a half lesson with my comments. Think about that. Again, if you, if you missed it, I'm reading one line and see if this resonates with you, if you can relate with these, with these statements. I see myself as a national figure at some point in the future, and I have plans to attain such a position. I see myself as a nationally known figure at some point in the future, and I have every intention and plan to attain that position. I enjoy conversations about myself, and I get really bored when the conversation is about you. Excuse me. I'm over with this conversation. 
Stinks, doesn't it? I'm like, oh, Lord, I feel like I'm all of these. The project will fail because I'm not part of it. It will fail. We all, again, have narcissistic tendencies. And we have to be aware of these tendencies. Now, if I read all those, that entire list and nothing resonated with you, you didn't identify one single thing, and that means, yeah, you're perfect, exactly. That tells me, actually, something a little bit more alarming. It means you're, you're, un, you're, you're not self-aware. You have no idea who you are. And as a leader, you have to know who you are. You have to know what are your shortcomings. Because you're going to get put in positions of power. God is going to work some people in here, and they're going to have some successes. And God is going to do some amazing things in your life. And if you're not aware of these narcissistic tendencies, you can find yourself in moral failure. As a leader, you need to be aware. What are my shortcomings? I have a list. The top, the top 10 hierarchy list of sins that will destroy Arash Ahmadpur. Yes, I'm a little crazy. A little, Yes. Because I've seen so many people in my life fail because they're not aware of these tendencies. We all have them. We all have them. As, yes, my dear. As we see leaders need to be aware what factors influence our decisions, as well as having these narcissistic tendencies, we need to reflect very carefully on all our decisions. God picked Saul. God liked Saul. God believed in Saul. Saul was going to be an excellent leader. I don't think Saul was a bad guy. I really think Saul was going to be a great leader. The problem was power. He had these tendencies. He had these narcissistic tendencies, and they eventually caused him to fail. We have to be careful. God's going to start using you. Please don't let it go to your head. Well, how do I stop this? I'll tell you one thing. It's not good enough to have an internet pastor or a television pastor. Are they calling you? Do you go talk to them? How about this? Maybe you do have a pastor you can talk to. Can they say no to you? Well, no, they can't say no to me. Can they be honest with you? Or do you shut them down? Who are you accountable to? Do you have anybody you're accountable to? No. Okay. You're in danger. Because if God's going to use you and your talents are going to take you to places you did not expect, I mean, God really will open up doors. It's amazing. I'm just blown away where God takes us. And unfortunately, I, I, I relate a lot with this narcissistic leader here. 
And I, I have to make sure I'm accountable. I have to make sure that there's some people that can get real with me and get in my grill. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to get mad or, or get angry, but it means at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to say, okay, maybe there's something on here that I'm not seeing. Do you have that? Again, as leaders, we need to be aware of some of our shortcomings. And we all have them. We all have them. We all have these tendencies. We can relate with Saul. On some levels, yes, Saul makes sense. Are we accountable to somebody? Are we allowing the Spirit to speak to us? Or have we literally shut the Spirit down? I like to read a passage of Scripture. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And this really, really explains everything. For the Word of God is living. It's active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing the soul from the Spirit and the joints from the marrow, and it's able to judge the desires and the thoughts of our hearts. What is our real purpose for our actions, our real intentions? The next verse, chapter, uh, verse 13, and no creature is hidden from God because everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. We are naked before God. There is no fooling him. When God went to Samuel and said, Samuel, I've messed up. I thought I knew, I saw these tendencies in Saul, and I thought he could be above it, but looks like it's not. It's going to get worse. I regret the day I made this decision. No repentance from Saul. No repentance. Well, I know what I'm doing. Now, none of us are these crazy, crazy narcissistic leaders that you see sometimes on these, on these tests. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're manipulating people and they're, like, beating up people. Well, no. I'm, of course, we're not any of those things. But we have these minor tendencies that are kind of on the accesses, on the axis of self, right? All right? I'm all about selfies. I'm all about what's happening in my life. You know, my, my Facebook profile, it's not a picture of me. It's a picture of a landscape because I'm so humble. Right. There's nothing wrong with sharing pictures of yourself. I'm just saying we have to be aware of these tendencies where we find ourselves being pressured I really do. I, I, have this, I have this belief, and I'm 100% sure I'm accurate, is that power corrupts absolutely. That's why presidents can only stay there for eight years, because they cannot be there longer than that. And then if you don't believe that, look at other countries and see the problems that it causes. And same with Saul. Saul was a great guy. He had these, these problems, and he wasn't accountable to even to Samuel. He was supposed to be accountable at least to Samuel. He was not. So as leaders, and the music had come, as leaders, are we accountable to somebody, a spiritual leader in our life? The people I like to be accountable to 
are the ones that don't disagree with me. The ones who believe every decision I make, those are the best people to be accountable to, right? I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, but no. To be accountable to somebody, they need to be honest with you and say, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out. I, I think you're making a bad decision, but I still love you. Now, that's a shepherd's heart. I still love you. Saul, I still love you. You're making poor choices, Saul, but Samuel still loves Samuel. I mean, Saul. Samuel still loves Saul. Do you have somebody, a spiritual leader in your life that you could be accountable to? Because as God starts to open doors in our lives... We could get really swept up in some dark places. We could stand the narcissistic leader. That's every one of us, right? Every one of us. Every one of us. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Lord, there's a lot of talent in this room right now, Jesus. There's a lot of potential in this room right now, Jesus. And I know, Lord, the enemy is going to look for some weak points, some places, Lord, where he can take and exploit these leaders. I pray, God, that they're submitted to you and they're su submitted, at least, Lord, to a spiritual leader, Jesus. I pray, God, that you touch these leaders, God. Help them to be self-aware of their fallacies, their shortcomings, their weaknesses, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that they know what are the sins, Lord, that can destroy their lives, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.